This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday. Yeah, it's Thursday, November 17th, 2022 edition. And we're just a week away from Thanksgiving and about to get into the holiday swing. I know I love the holidays myself, uh, so I'm excited for that. And this is the time of year where you do a little reflecting on how the year went personally, professionally, and financially. And while we're not here to help you with the personal side, or really the professional side, we can help you with the financial side. And we talk a lot about this show about investing. After all, it's called Invest Talk. But we try to help you to have a good mindset when it comes to good money habits, saving, spending correctly. And that's what it's about. It's having good habits on a day-to-day basis. It's not about reading an article and finding a good investment where you throw 1% or 2% of your net worth into. That's not going to solve your long-term financial goals. What will help you achieve those long-term financial goals is making good, consistent decisions with your money, with your investments. So that's what I'm here to help you do. I'm Justin Klein, and on this radio show and podcast, I am going to answer your finance and investment questions and give you some perspective on the market and uh, different asset classes, different sectors, so that you understand the risks and reward and understand the mindset of how to think about the opportunities in the market. There are always opportunities, some more attractive than the other. And it's your job to understand not just the upside of a, an opportunity, but also the downside and how that fits in with your broader portfolio, your broader strategy, your broader goals. So the phone lines are open and I'm ready to answer your questions. You can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, leave your question and we will answer it on a future show or if you're listening live, 4 to 5 Pacific time, which I know a lot of you are, you can call and ask your question and, and talk to me direct. I, I love those questions as well. Now, I've got a lot of material for you today. My main focus point is in regards to the story behind this question. What can we learn from anticipated soft holiday sales? We're going to look at one of the largest retailers out there, Target, and they had earnings. And there's a lot to glean from what they said in their earnings call uh, about the economy and the consumer. So we're going to look at that. Time permitting, I also want to touch a bit on earnings for 2023. What are those expectations looking like? And have analysts, um, have they downgraded them enough to account for a likely recession, mild recession, but likely recession next year? Also, 
the supplier or the, the PPI, producer price index, that came out yesterday. So we're going to look at that data and what that tells us about inflation overall. And then lastly, speaking of inflation, we're going to look at different types of companies and asset classes that do well in an inflationary environment. Okay. So I have all this plan for you, as well as some voice bank questions to play. One is on Teradyne, T-E-R, as well as Huntington Ingalls Industries, H-I-I. -I. So we're going to play those questions as well. So I'm ready to take your calls live at 888-989-CHART. So don't be afraid to pick up the phone and give us a call. Now let's take a look at the market today. We had a, a modest down day. It was down earlier, uh, more dramatically. The, the US market was down about 0.4%. Small caps down about 0.7%. The Dow overall was flat. The S&P down about 0.3%. And the NASDAQ down 0.35%. But like I said, we rallied for most of the day. And overall, it was uh, a pretty... A pretty nice bounce. Uh, I expected a choppy week, and that's kind of what we've received from markets. A lot of ups, a lot of downs, but not really going very far over the past uh, week. In fact, so far this week, we're only down modestly uh, from a very overbought situation. So to have a small pullback is reasonable. We're still above the 100-day moving average, which is uh, certainly, uh, to me, at least a short-term line in the sand to see uh, if this uptrend can continue, uh, and it looks more like a consolidation period before the next leg higher. But that's what that's chart reading is an art. It's not a it's not a science. So uh, the odds are in the market's favor in the short term. But once again, that's just the short term, and it's just the odds. Now let's pivot to our first listener question now. Hi, Stephen. Justin, this is Mike from Virginia. Uh, I had a question about a stock I've held since uh, the beginning of COVID. It's a hotel REIT, A-P-L-E is the ticker symbol. I was wondering if I should hold on to that, add to my position, or wait it out until um, the dividend comes back. Thanks for answering my question. Love your show. All right, this is Apple Hospitality REIT. Yeah, not Apple Computers or Apple that makes your iPhone. But Apple Hospitality, and it's a REIT that invests mainly in hotels. So what happens is the Marriott's of the world, the Hilton's of the world, and that's their big two biggest brands that manage their properties. You know, Apple owns the underlying property. Marriott and Hilton rent it, and they they run it, and hopefully they make a profit. So it's a sector that is cyclical to some degree. And this is uh, a REIT that is pretty consistent. Uh, I like that it has a low payout ratio, only about 57% cash to payout ratio, payout ratio, only 30%. They don't have a ton of debt on their balance sheets. I definitely like this more than an office REIT, for example. Yields, current yield about Looks about 6% going forward. Did they cut it? I wonder if they trimmed. He, the caller insinuated that they trimmed or eliminated their dividend. I'm not seeing that. Yeah, I'm not seeing that. 
It looks like they actually hiked their dividend. Apple, Apple, Apple. There we go. Yeah, increased quarterly dividend by 14% quarter over quarter. So they just recently increased their dividend. I think so, this one's fine. Uh, I don't mind REITs. The hotel sector is doing okay. Once again, it's cyclical, but it's not up to Apple. As long as their tenants are paying their rent, that's what matters most to them. So uh, I, I kind of like this. I kind of like Apple hospitality. A-P-L-E is the symbol, a solid REIT in this market. Now we're heading into a break. Steve and I are happy to play your voice bank questions, but we love live calls as well. So a reminder, our number never changes and it never closes. It's still 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today looks into the story behind this question. What can we learn from anticipated soft holiday sales? And this is in regards to Target's earnings that came out yesterday. Profits fell around 50% year over year from third quarter to third quarter. A lot of this had to do with inventory dumping, basically. So margins were cut. Now, the company said it plans to cut about $3 billion in total costs over the next three years. Interesting enough, they didn't talk about a hiring freeze or layoffs. So, you know, what other things could it be? Shrinking store sizes, uh, pulling back on opening new stores. You know, we'll see. They didn't really lay out a plan. But Target's chief growth officer said customers' price sensitivity intensified during the last two weeks of October and saw that trend continue into early November as well. And so consumers are feeling strained by higher prices for basic goods, groceries, housing, and other necessities. And they're buying fewer full-priced items, so they're waiting, holding out for promotions, and they're choosing smaller items, value packs, and the store brands. So they're not buying Tylenol, they're buying the generic version, for example. And this is typical consumer behavior going into a recession. 
Now, Walmart had earnings on Tuesday, and they talked about a pullback in spending on apparel, electronics, and really discretionary items. Now, luckily for Walmart, they have a pretty big grocery business, and a lot of people go to Walmart for groceries. Target, they do have that, but not a huge part of their clientele. You're not really going to Target for grocery shopping. Maybe you're going to pick up some things while you're there, while you're, while you're buying some other things at Target, but very few people go there for groceries. Now, what they said is, looking ahead to next year and beyond in the holiday season, they see a challenging environment. They saw inventory was up about 14% year over year. That was compared to 36% in the second quarter and 43% in the, in the first quarter. So inventory growth is slowing, which is good, and is allowing them to dwindle down uh, their excess inventory. But that hurt their margins, and that's why even though sales grew, operating margins were expected to be around 6%. They came in at 3.9%. And earnings were down about 50% from 3.04, sorry, $3.04 a share in the same quarter last year and $1.54 this year. They also said that they're seeing a higher level of shoplifting. So that was a drag of about $400 million in profits. That's a lot of money and a lot of organized retail theft, which is uh, pretty interesting. Now, silver lining is that website traffic grew 1.4%. The average ticket rose 1.3%. So total sales is up, but the volume of actual goods is down. And so you're seeing more spending on things like food and beverage, essentials like pet supplies, healthcare items. Those are doing well. But things for your home, sporting goods, toys, those are all down uh, in those categories. So you can see where the strength of the consumer is. And this is typical behavior within a recessionary environment. Uh, and if you're looking at retailers, you have to adjust. I think the discount retailers are going to start to do very, very well. That's typically what happens in a recession. People trade down. They wait for the bargains. And that's what this target report is basically telling you. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and it's a fast-moving Thursday. And we continue to see volatility in the market. And that means you probably have finance and investment questions that you like answered. And that's why we're here. So don't hesitate. Pick up the phone. We have about 35 minutes left in the show, but it's going to go by fast. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is all about above average investing for the average investor. And the question is, during a market downturn, do dividends stay fairly steady? Um, I wanted to see if you thought that that was a safer place to park the money for long term. Just kind of wondering if this stock is a value trap. What's your question? You're the best person to ask it. 888-99-CHART.
InvestTalk is here to help. And when you download the free InvestTalk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve or Justin. I'm calling about Teradyne, ticker symbol T-E-R, and Applied Materials, ticker symbol A-M-A-T. Both of these companies are in my portfolio, and I'm having trouble deciding if I should sell one of these cyclical companies from my portfolio. Both have high return on equities, return on investments, and return on assets, and not a lot of debt. And from the financial statements I've seen, both of them have total current assets that are nearly double their total liabilities. Now, I was thinking of selling Teradyne and reallocating into possible JSK or some other healthcare company, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you, and I'll be listening for the answers in your podcast. Well, if you were to sell Teradyne, I wouldn't be heading over to the healthcare space. I'd be looking at basic materials, energy, industrials, probably industrials. Most people are, are underweight that. So that's where I'd be, I'd be looking. Now, Teradyne and uh, Applied Materials, both very good companies. Uh, but Teradyne's business is pretty cyclical. In 2010, their return equity went up to 42%. Just recently, uh, it was up at 44% as of middle of last year. Now it's down to about 31%. But the long-term average is much lower. And in a recession, it goes drastically negative. In 03, it went down to negative 58. In 09, it went down to negative 71%. So their business did terrible during a recession. And the reason is, is because they make testing equipment for the semiconductor space. And they test things like hard drives and electronic systems. And let's see. Yeah, semiconductor testing made up 71% of sales last year. It does have, let's see. Interesting. Okay. I'm just getting a, a refresher on what they do. Uh, but what I don't like is how cyclical their customer base is. Now, AMAT, pretty similar. They're the world's largest supplier of semiconductor manufacturing equipment. Now, it's just testing, but the whole manufacturing process. And I believe their products are a little bit more nece necessary. Uh, less competitors. There's a lot of integrated circuit testing companies like Teradyne. Uh, not that I don't like Teradyne. I think these are both good companies. And, and I think I like that you own both of them. But if you're saying which one do I sell and which one do I keep, even in a recession, AMAT's business stays relatively solid. Now, there's some headwinds with the whole chips bill. Um, but I think AMAT will be a beneficiary of that longer term. Because we're going to need their equipment to uh, eventually to install in the uh, the plants that are being built out over the next uh, five ten years. So if I'm selling one or the other, absolutely Teradyne, and I would uh, once again probably put that energy industrial space, not the healthcare space. Thanks for the call. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. Let's talk about inflation. Inflation. Now, the PPI number came out on Tuesday, and 
it reflected that the supply chain conditions in the economy uh, remain tight but are easing. And so prices were up about 8% in October. That's down from the 8.4% year-over-year increase in September and way down from the 11.7% increase in March. Now, on a monthly basis, those are year-on-year numbers. On a monthly basis, PPI increased 0.2%. In October from September, that was basically flat from September's figure. And it matched the average monthly gain in the two years before the pandemic. So it's basically saying the goods economy, it's corrected. It's back to pre-pandemic levels. Now it's just what happens from here? You don't have the supply constraints that you had early on in the pandemic. Those have been, for the most part, ameliorated. Now, what PPI captures is what suppliers are charging businesses and other customers. It generally reflects the cost that producers are facing. And it indicates that inflationary pressures building throughout the production pipeline have eased. And you even see parts of the manufacturing economy, like passenger cars and household furniture, those prices are now in decline. And core PPI, which strips out food, energy, and supplier margins, that was up 0.2% in October after getting 0.3% in September. So a deceleration, and that was at 1% back in March. So sharp deceleration. On a, on a year-of-year basis, core PPI was at 5.4% from 5.6% in August. So more indication that the inflation story isn't the real story you need to be paying attention to. It's peaked. How fast it'll come down? We'll see. But it's going to be a grind lower. The real story is going to be earnings. And that's what I'm going to touch on next. Now, the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline. Reality show, rea- Reality showdown. Global stock market rally versus recession dangers. Though surging stocks suggest markets are reaffirming hopes of a soft landing from the Fed, some high-profile strategists disagree. Steve will get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools, 
to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Hey, Steve or Justin. I was wanting to get your opinion on KBWB. It's a bank ETF, Invesco Bank ETF. I was wondering where a good entry point on this would be or if we're com- getting close to a good time to start picking up financial bank stocks. Your input is appreciated. Thank you. All right, this is the Invesco exchange-traded bank ETF. And top holding is JP Morgan, 9%, Bank of America, 8%, Wells Fargo, 8%, Citi, 8%, U.S. Bank Corp, 7.5%. Those are the top five holdings, and it's about 40% of the fund right there. So certainly heavily weighted in those big banks. And out of the big banks, the only one I really like is JP Morgan. I, I kind of rather have a regional bank just because they have the ability to grow their earnings a bit better. Their uh, lending practices are a bit more flexible. Uh, they don't have SIFI surcharges. Uh, and so that's the way I would go. I think this is just an okay fund. I, I, it's in the financial sector, which typically does well in an inflationary environment. So I don't dislike it completely, but I think you can do better with something that's more concentrated in the regional banks. And I believe Invesco does have a regional bank ETF. There's the iShares, IAT, that's regional bank ETF, but I think Invesco has one as well. So that's what I rather own. I just rather own the regional banks versus the large banks. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Rob in San Jose. He wants to talk about interest rates relationship to the strong dollar. Yeah, thanks, Justin, for taking my call. Of course. My question is, as I always thought in an inflationary environment that that should lead to a weaker dollar, not a stronger dollar. And for sure, I think we have a very strong dollar. So I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. You're, you're, it's the whole chicken the egg thing. And in, in inflation, when inflation happens, typically the dollar or the local currency declines in value and you get higher inflation. So it's not inflation creates a lower currency. No, usually lower currency creates higher inflation. And we are getting high inflation along with higher currency, which is kind of an anomaly. Now, that tells you a lot of this has to do with supply constraints, um, but it also tells you about what's happening around the world. Now, if you go to another country, say Europe or any country in Europe, 
uh, say Japan, you know, their currencies are falling in value. And that's actually making the inflation picture far worse than ours, especially in Europe. And so what we're doing is we're actually exporting inflation to the rest of the world. When the Fed is fighting inflation, we are exporting our inflation to the rest of the world because their currencies are getting weaker. If they're not keeping up with what the, the Fed is doing, meaning they're not hiking rates as fast or faster than we are, then typically those currencies are going to decline in value. And so once again, you have to understand is lower currency values creates inflation, not the other way around. Inflation doesn't create lower currency. In fact, in this case, the opposite, because you have a central bank that's fighting it. Now, some central banks don't care. Japan, for example, they want inflation. Their inflation is not really that bad just because they have poor demographics. Uh, they've pivoted to reopening the nuclear plants. So they're just a better run country. So they don't have the natural uh, inflationary pressures that Europe's having, which, you know, they're very slow to open the nuclear plants. And they're relying on coal again. They're just poorly run. And that's why you're having inflation stay elevated there. So that's what's happening in the currency world and in the interest rate world. You have to understand that currencies are also always against another, another currency. So everyone looks at the dollar index, for example, most of the dollar index is, is are three currencies, the Japanese yen, the Euro and the British pound. That's something like 80 plus percent of the dollar index. So those few economies tip, are having trouble, which they probably are in this environment with higher commodity prices. They're naturally not commodity rich. The value of their currencies are going to go down because the strength of their economy is going down. Now, if you index the dollar against commodity rich countries like Brazil, like Russia, the dollar is really not up that much. So you really have to put all of this in context. It's a global financial system, highly complex, and the dollar or the currency member drives uh, inflation. Now let's touch a bit on earnings. Everyone's talking about inflation, but the story for 2023 will be about earnings. Once again, inflation is going to moderate through the rest of through 2023. But where the stock market goes is going to be highly predicated on how weak earnings are. And typically in a recession, you get somewhere about a 25% drop in earnings. Right now, the forecast is only is only down 8% over the next 12 months. And the downgrade of earnings for from analysts over the past five months 
is down about 4%. Typically in a recession, those are somewhat recessionary numbers. Now you had 2016, 2015, those were times where earnings estimates over a five week month period were down a little bit worse, about 4%, and we didn't have a recession, but we know the economy was pretty weak around that time, 2016 timeframe. But prior to that, anytime you had a four or 5% decline in any five month period in forward earnings expectations, that was a recession. Now, every past recession has led to a double digit drop to some degree. Some worse than, than, than the teens, some into the 20s, some into the 50s. And the most interest rate sensitive sectors right now are already showing sides of weakness, like, like housing. Then you have on top of that COVID lockdowns in China that are stunning the growth for companies that have a lot of exposure there. Wholesale inventories are up almost 50% since the end of 2020. So any slowdown in sales will rapidly feed through into reduced orders. And in fact, new manufacturing orders are already shrinking, according to the ISM. ISM survey. The historical relations suggest that you should take earnings per share down to about $180 per share. That's about 25% lower than the current consensus. And that's just if there's a standard recession. And I think that's probably what we're seeing. Now, to some degree, the market has priced that in to some degree. Based on certain models, and these models are not perfect. The market is priced in a 5% drop in earnings next year. But once again, typically you see double digits. Now, return on equity is near the top end of the range historically. So that means that there's a lot of room to come down. Merely returning to long-term averages would take earnings down by more than 40%. Now, once again, the market is trading at pretty cheap valuations, 16 times forward-looking earnings. But remember, those earnings expectations could move and are likely to move down. And we're still above the 2018 recession fear multiple, which is about 14 times. And this is the best argument for a lower low in the markets in early 2023. That, hey, yes, stocks have come down. Yes, inflation is coming down, but earnings have not. And if earnings start to catch up to the weaker demand you're seeing in the economy, that could mean that next volatile period, which I do expect to happen in the first quarter, you know, it could be a lower low. Still that possibility. So I wanted to give you a sense of what a recessionary earnings picture looks like for markets. Now, I know it can be hard to believe, but the calendar is clear. We're a week away from Thanksgiving, getting ready for the holiday season. And I'm, I know I'm with clients. I'm having year-end discussions, tax loss selling, 
you know, what happened this year? Any changes to your financial situation? Do we need to change strategies, etc.? And so you're probably thinking the same thing. Hopefully you are. Because you should be checking in on your portfolios, on your strategy, at least once a year. Whether that's with your advisor or with yourself. So if you need help understanding where you're at, seeing which way is up within your portfolio, within your financial life, see if you're on the right path, well, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KAPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing and we invest right alongside our clients and we practice unbiased guidance, both on and off air. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. You can send, a, send us a message through investtalk.com or call our office at 800-557-5461. sooner we talk to you, the sooner we can help get your portfolio optimized. And be on the lookout. We're nearing the end of our new website build out. So be ready for that. Don't be surprised when that shows up one day when you go to investtalk.com. Sometime soon. Now this is InvestTalk. We will play another caller question next. So hang on. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to Invest Talk. So please tell your friends and family members about the free Invest Talk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk. 88899 chart. Hi, my name is Angela. Thanks so much for everything you do on the show. Really love it. I have a quick question. I am 26 and I'm wondering how much I should be contributing to my 401k. I make $80,000 a year and I can contribute up to 20,000 a year and my employer matches 6%, but I'm not sure if that's like way too much the 20,000 to contribute versus having that in other brokerage accounts. Thanks so much. Bye. The standard advice is always make sure you get the, the full match, whatever that is, that's hundred percent up to X percentage, uh, and then 50% above, uh, uh, up to another percentage. That's often what happens. Sometimes it's hundred percent of the first 5%, whatever that is, that's what you should get. Then, in addition to that, I would go with a four, with a, with an IRA. Some people make too much money to contribute to an IRA, and that's fine. Then you just stick with the four hundred one k. But I would go with an IRA for up to the six thousand dollars per year. Now, I believe that's going to go up next year to seven thousand, but six thousand in an IRA. And if you can do that, those two things, that's going to go a long way to have consistent savings habits. Now, the good thing about a 401k is it just goes through your employer. You never see it in your bank account. There's a little more work with an IRA, but an IRA is going to allow you to open yourself up to a lot more investment opportunities. And that's the biggest drawback with 401k. You are at the whims of whoever set up the 401k at your company, whatever 
investment options they pick. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not so good, often they're too limited, and you want flexibility to invest whatever you want. And in an IRA, you can do that, whether that's mutual funds, ETFs, individual stocks, individual bonds, whatever that is. And so that's where you want to go with the additional savings. And then if once you max out that IRA, if you want to go back to that 401k, up that uh, above the, the, the full match, you can do that as well. It's another uh, way to, to save more. So that's the way to think about your 401k contributions. But most importantly, make sure it's set up automatically. And you don't have to think about it because that is the best way to consistently save where you're never seeing it. It's just going straight into those accounts. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Paul in Alabama. I had a question about Picker HII Huntington Ingalls. I own it, small portion of the portfolio. It's got a decent dividend. It seems to be stable, uh, but I bought it more as a long-term hold, kind of a hedge against China. Anyways, just wondering what the fair market value is on that. Thank you. All right, looking at Huntington Ingalls Industries, and this is a spinoff of Northrop Grumman. And it's their shipbuilding business, and they're the largest independent military shipbuilder. There's three segments, and it makes nuclear-powered ships, uh, amphibious assault ships, and a Burke-class destroyer. They also do some IT services for the government. So they basically, this is in the defense industry. Now, good, solid fundamentals, profitability, like you said, consistency, long-term return equity is about 21%. That's down from its longer-term average around 35%. So it's a bit under-earning. And I want to make sure that's not something that is longer-term, that you're seeing a decline in profitability. I want to know why that is. I like that they don't have a ton of debt in their balance sheet, about $3 billion net debt, market cap about $9 billion. Not too bad, especially for how consistent their business is. Cash from operations, 436 million trailing 12 months. That is down pretty significantly from 1.2 billion, uh, the high in uh, mid 2020. So I really wanna know what why that is. Now here's the biggest worry. I know, say, hedge against China. I think we are in this deglobalized world where we're not gonna be going and being the policer of the global oceans nearly as much. And Think of our fiscal situation over the next decade, it's fairly precarious. Are we gonna to continue to spend on military the same way? Or will that be trimmed? 
That's my worth. And this peaked back in 2018. Yeah, it's paying a 2.2% dividend, but it's been dead money since then. So, you know, I don't, I don't get excited about this, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't think it's cheap, but I don't think it's expensive. But earnings are expected to go down next year. Or, excuse me, they're going up, but earnings expectations are being downgraded. And that worries me as well. So I'm going to pass on this. I, I would move on. Uh, it's been dead money. I don't like the trends in, in cash flow and and operating margins, return equity, etc. And it's not cheap anymore. After this rally from the lows around 140 back in the fall of 2020, now it's at 224. And I think it's fairly valued, and I think there's better opportunities out there. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch on the corporate bond market and bonds in general are a lot more attractive than they've been in a while a year ago uh, equities were not cheap but bonds were even less cheap bonds were or equities were in in earnings yield perspective were still cheaper than than bonds and in some ways that's flipped and especially in the corporate bond market because corporate debt has been hit hard and there's a lot of hedge funds a lot of investors that are seeing a lot of opportunity including ourselves in the high yield credit market seeing the most lucrative investing opportunities in corporate bonds structured credits asset-backed uh, credits in a long time Now, the Michael Hintz, he is one of the largest investors in the corporate debt market, very experienced. And he said that he, that he had used rec the recent fall in debt prices to buy corporate debt positions and to cut his funds hedge hedges against falling prices in the sector. Basically saying, hey, we hedged because we saw prices too high They've come down, but they've come down so much, we've gotten rid of those hedges, and now we're actually buying. Yields on junk debt are up 2.8% from the start of 2020 to 7.8% on average. And a lot of this has to do with just redemptions in things like HYG, the iShares iBox High Yield Credit Bond ETF. There's been about $10 billion of outflows this year. And US high yield ETFs have seen 17 billion in outflows altogether this year. And so when that happens, there's kind of widespread selling and that creates opportunity. And so right now, some of the best investment opportunities, risk versus reward are in the high quality corporate debt market. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And we have surpassed the 47 million download mark thanks to you and you can find your downloads anytime at itunes spotify or google play and be sure to rate and review on itunes and if you leave your question with your review we will prioritize your answer independent thinking shared success this is invest talk good night invest talk is a trademark of kpp financial because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice 
or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.